Brilliant Minds is so much more than a two-day creativity and thought leadership gathering in Stockholm, Sweden. It's a 365-day year-round journey. The journey of our founders, Daniel Eck of Spotify and Ash Pornori of At Night. The journey of our board, team members, the young entrepreneurs we meet year-round whose ideas will change the world. It's also my journey. My journey as CEO, as a working mother, as a wife and sister, as the child of immigrants, as a person who truly believes that bringing people together and uplifting each other's great stories can make the world better. This podcast is that personal journey. Brilliant Minds is about building community everywhere we go and sharing the bold voices in that community who are not afraid to challenge the way things have always been done in order to create things that have never been imagined before. In this podcast, I hope you join me in cities around the world, where I will exclusively interview some of the most creative people, men and women, young and old, across all sectors, fashion, art, tech, music, science, business, food, health, people that share the values of brilliant minds, rooted in transparency, gender equality, social justice, compassion, a love of the environment and mankind, people that aren't afraid to use their voice for change. Follow me at other great tech events, art summits, media gatherings, where I will give you an inside scoop on where the future is going and how you can help shape it. Join me in the Brilliant Minds podcast on the go around the world. I can't wait to hear what you think. more women at the policy table. Unity and diversity, not exclusion, is what does and always will make America great. Yet it remains a challenge for women in American politics today. They need to be crazy enough to want the job and put their personal life, looks, past, family out for public referendum. That on top of everything else they need to do in an average day. But for my generation of women, Millennials coming to age in a digital and media-saturated era, Jane Harmon made politics look easy. The longtime California congresswoman served as the chair of the House Intelligence Committee post-9-11 and was able to successfully and constructively help modernize the intelligence community to the combat the threats of the modern era. She represented the state of California's 36th district in the U.S. House of Representatives from 1993 to 99 and again from 2001 to 2011. She ran for governor in between, jumping late into the race with just weeks to get her message out, and she lost, but picked up and went at it again. She never gives up. Today she serves as the first female president of the prestigious Woodrow Wilson Center, a top Washington, D.C. think tank. We had an intimate conversation live from an event at the Wilson Center called the Women in Public Service Project, which has made a global commitment to reaching a minimum of 50% of all decision-making positions in political and policy leadership to be held by women by the year 2050. Our intimate interview reveals the more personal side of Congresswoman Harmon, the way she navigated the roles of mother, wife, and leader, where she found her inner core of confidence when things were down, and what it takes to be a leader in the modern era, whether you're a woman or a man. 
Enjoy. This is a really inspiring interview with one of my lifelong role models. Are you happy? Oh, yeah. Uh, it was very good. Very good energy, the whole thing was. And, and yet we're focused on data. That's what I want Absolutely. us to be focused on. Not marching, uh, not celebrating, <laughs> uh, not crying, just uh, working in a very constructive way to build the support system to really accomplish this, which is what the Wilson Center does. Do you think that's the key? I mean, making it something, you know, you, you get a lot of different opinions. Some people feel like you have to be emotional, you have to be bold, you have to be loud. But I think we, I, I had, you know, a few of the tech people here in San Francisco and my mm -hmm. friend Sukinder is the exec at Google and has had this storied career. She says, I'm doing a project on women and the reason it works because it's clear, it's metric-based, it's fact-based, and I deliver it to people. You know, and that's well, how we have to do it. But that is how we have to do it. That is how I've done it so far. You do the work. No. You know what you're talking about. Uh, you show up. You uh, persuade others. You work with others. And uh, I think it, it's, it's not that different from what men do. It's harder because there are glass ceilings and glass walls, as mm -hmm. Kathy McCartney, the uh, president of Smith College, mm -hmm. my alma mater, says. Uh, but you do it. And if you do it that way, uh, people can't impeach you. They can't say, oh, she's just the wife of, the sister of, the you know, the benefit of affirmative action, yeah. uh, they can't try, say it. Yes. Sure, they'll try, but they can't say that. And there's a lot of respect that you can earn, earn mm -hmm. with sweat equity. And when you earn it, then you can uh, share it, which is the other obligation. You have to uh, both partner with people and be a mentor to people, especially women, not only women. Mm -hmm. I mean, some young men learn from women in big positions too. I certainly hope my sons have. I have two sons and two daughters. And of course my daughters are geniuses. My sons are more challenged only because they <laughs> happen to be male. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, but you know, I'm not flattering you by saying this, but honestly, you know, you've, you've put yourself out there. You've dealt with and advocated for some of the toughest issues. I mean, national security and defense. Being a woman in that realm is really tough. Um, you have four kids. <laughs> Yeah. How did you put together this puzzle? And I'm sure you ask this a lot, but I actually find that there's no better value than hearing stories from people like you who've done it. How did you do it? It must have been rough. Well, it wasn't all planned. I remember at the front end thinking I couldn't possibly fit children into this, and then all of a sudden, oops, four. I have four. Um, <laughs> you have to believe that uh, sleep is overrated. That's, that's what goes first. If you don't have to sleep, and I do have to sleep, except I pretend I don't, uh, then you can fit it all in. But you have to renegotiate it every single morning. I do remember my type A husband uh, one day w when I was in Congress and the child care didn't show, yeah. saying, well, what are you going to do about this? And, of course, we figured it out. Um, the kids were not left on the, on the uh, sidewalk. They've all grown up to be responsible adults. So... Um, um, a little neglect goes a long way, but more seriously, <laughs> yeah, I agree. more seriously. Uh, although some of them were inconvenienced uh, along the way, uh, I think I set the right example, and I'm happy, and I'm productive, and uh, so at least Grandma is not a burden, uh, at least at the moment. And I, I certainly think my grandkids are very impressed. Uh, I, I have one daughter who says, "Mother, you are not normal," uh, and I say, "Great." Happy not to be normal. But I mean, that is so, you, 
you obviously have a spine of steel in that way. And again, not trying to be solicitous, but it's hard to deal with the, oh, why is mommy never here? Mostly from the friends and the other moms at school. Well, mommy was here. Mommy was here. And my kids grew up in Washington where a lot of women have careers. So I wasn't the only mommy uh, who wasn't there full time. There were some who were there full time. And I respect that choice. I totally respect it. One of my daughters has made that choice and is staying home despite a law degree and a very big career is now staying home and raising her adorable, perfect children who happen to be my grandchildren. Uh, But um, I respect that. But that wasn't my choice. That was never going to be my choice. I absolutely knew I wanted a big career and I went after it. And I had the big career before I had the kids. Uh, And which I guess some women do. They wait. I waited. Um, but then um, the kids fit in, and looking back on it, I can't not imagine having missed uh, being a mother. And, and many women, I think, do. I, I hear often that's the story of D.C., and certainly, you know, we were in an embassy in the Foreign Service where one spouse has to follow the other, and you know this well. It's really hard to do both. Um, you're moving every few years. If you're a woman, you have to find a guy that's willing to, and there were a few in Sweden, but that's willing to be the kind of token dad on the side without the job, taking the kids, and, and it's hard for them. You it's know, hard for either goals. spouse. Yeah. Uh, I applaud men who do it. And I, I watched in Congress. I was married, but a number of women were divorced, um, never married, uh, and a number of them never had kids. Uh, so I, 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 I don't know how I did it. Uh, but I rejoice in it, and I still have plenty of energy. So that's, I guess, why I'm not normal. What do you think really is the biggest barrier? I mean, you must have seen it all, and you, you work on this. You do this. I mean, the Wilson Center Women in Public Service Project is very unique. Um, what is it? If you could change, if you could be president and change the three things, what would oh, they I, be? That answer is easy. What's the biggest barrier to a woman who is not in abject poverty. If she's in abject poverty, that's the biggest barrier. But any anybody else, what's the biggest barrier to us is us. Mm-hmm. It is not having the nerve to do it. And it is, self-confidence doesn't fall out of a tree. I got mine, I think, looking back on it from two sources. One was my mother who mm-hmm. said you can do anything. Mm-hmm. And the research on uh, political women shows that the mother is a huge influence, and mine was. But the other is Smith College. Uh, I went to a women's college. Back in the day, I couldn't have gone to the Ivies because they were all men. Uh, But being in that environment, I became confident. Let's hope not cocky, but confident that I could do things. And the sadness, the, the sad thing about women is they select out. This is too hard. I can't do it perfectly. Why are women perfectionists and men get by with any old answer to anything? Um, but I see it even here. Uh, there's some brilliant women at the Wilson Center who won't won't uh, be interviewed unless they are totally prepared. Won't write an op-ed unless it is awesome. And um, what they don't what they underestimate is that they are awesome and that uh, their best on any given day is excellent. And they and so I remember when I when I started running for Congress in my early middle age, the first elected office I ever saw it other than junior high school treasurer, which I lost, um, a, a male member of Congress was giving me advice and he said, don't blink. Uh, when a lot of people will try to talk you out of it, but just decide you're doing it 
and then say, I'm doing it. I need your help. And it was amazing how things changed once I crossed that red line. What was it like running for governor? For, that's such a high visibility. I mean, California, that's un. That's remarkable, Jane. Well, it must have been well, I lost. Worse, I lost. Still, how did that, how did I, under, I underestimated that one. I was in my third term in Congress doing fine. I'd finally gotten, uh, I finally won by 50% of the vote. Before that, I had won by a plurality. It was a very, very hard uh, number of races in the 90s in a lean Republican district. I'm a centrist Democrat. But then, at the last minute, Diane Feinstein dropped out of the primary for governor. And there were 12 weeks to go. And her entire support system came to me, because our voting records are very similar, and said, uh, she's not doing it. We want to help you. You can win, so forth. Uh, there was a chance that I could win. It wasn't that it was a, a ridiculous venture, although 12 weeks to run in a state That's of over yes. yeah, 36 million people. Uh, hmm. And I had to give up my house seat to do it because you can't run in California two elections simultaneously. But at any rate, uh, what I learned was <laughs> that it's like going into a dark tunnel. And uh, you can't, your energy has to be there. You really don't see anybody or do anything other than that the race. I can only imagine what Hillary Clinton went through looking back on my experience, because she had 300 million people to persuade, not just three, 35 million. And uh, I, I saw, I made a couple of mistakes. I said things when I was tired that uh, blew up. Um, I didn't call anybody deplorable, but I, I, I made a couple of comments about uh, uh, some issues that I had to walk back. And um, it was hard. And then... After six weeks of the 12, I was first in the polls. I put on positive ads, at which point one of the other two people in this primary targeted me only and spent $42 million in six weeks. And in 1998, that was worth 3x of, you know, hundreds of millions in today's dollars, I'd say. But at any rate... Uh, he had done the opposition research on, on my voting record and tore it apart and took little pieces of votes and twisted it around. And, of course, I didn't recognize me. I actually wasn't worried about that. I, I, uh, I was fine, but I worried about my kids watching it, and they did watch it. Uh, it wasn't as vicious as this cycle that we've been through, but back in that day it was pretty vicious. And what happened was uh, what was called a murder-suicide. Uh, he... Uh, he, he murdered me, but he destroyed his own candidacy, and the third guy won. And then a few years later, um, his name was Gray Davis. Mm. Uh, he had to leave office. Not related to this campaign. Yes. Were you surprised by the, by the rhetoric of this year? I mean, we all knew it would be an ugly campaign. Um, and we don't even have to talk about the candidates, but just the rhetoric outside on Twitter everywhere was just... It was, was. It was ugly. It was... Um, Uninformed, it was uh, hurtful to American the the image of America abroad. It was it debased our elections. I'm not shy about describing it. I'm just relieved I wasn't running in this cycle. Um, my good friend John Hickenlooper, who's the governor of Colorado, mm -hmm. went through this a couple of campaign cycles ago, and he put on some ads of him in the shower, in different different you know in his suit in a jogging clothes and this, that, 
uh, scrubbing himself. And his whole point was, I've got to get these campaign <laughs> messages off of myself. And that would have been a cute ad this time. I mean, a, a, a really sad cute ad. Are you worried, though, that this is more the norm? I'm enormously worried. Yeah. I think the paradigm in at least federal elections is blame the other side for not solving the problem. And it's it and and scare your scare voters, um, those two things. Blaming and scaring are not uh, positive strategies, and uh, we won't have the America I grew up in if we can't describe it in hopeful terms. You're extremely busy today, so I just want to wrap up by asking you simply, what's what's your hope for the Women in Public Service project? You know, where do where do you hope we can get? even in a year? I know the long-term goal is 50-50 parity, but... Well, I don't know that we'll achieve it precisely, um, but we're scaling this up. And by um, having the metrics to show that it can work in a number of countries, and we're not just talking the Western Hemisphere. I mean, if Rwanda can do it, why can't the United States do it? And boy, are we not doing it. We're only up, the, we're in the low 20s, and we still haven't elected a woman president despite the fact that 7-0, 70 countries have done this, uh, and the world has not ended. Uh, so uh, I think um, uh, that, that the stories we will tell, we will show the numbers, we will tell the stories, we will uh, use social media to put our best uh, role models forward. And they're not all... Uh, grandmas like me, there are some young people that will knock your socks off that have the guts to be leaders. And I think it's, in, in the case of women, uh, this, the, the single most important ingredient, mm-hmm. once one is not in abject poverty, is, is personal bravery. And there are a lot of potentially brave women out there, and some of them aren't even 20 years old. This little kid tweeting in Syria at age eight, whom I hope, who I hope will survive this dreadful uh, war on East Aleppo, uh, I think, is going to have the stuff if she gets through this to to be president of her country. Why not? 